I'm author Mark Muncy. And I'm author Erica Lance. And this is Eerie Travels. Greetings, travelers. Greetings, travelers. That was my enthusiastic greetings, travelers. That was That's a good one. That that usually means that signifies something. What does it signify? What it's going to signify is we have an amazing freaking podcast today. And I didn't say a swear word in the first eight seconds. That was not a swear word. So it doesn't yep. count. Yep. Freaking doesn't count. <laughs> that freaking doesn't count. Fracking, freaking. Um, no, I'm super excited because our guest today is also somebody I've known for a long time, but it is around hilarity. So um, I think we should just jump into it, but yeah, I think yeah. we should jump into it with uh, a moment for something everybody needs to get stuck into their head forever. Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. They'll eat you, mash you, squish you, mash you, chew you up for lunch, and finish you off for dinner or lunch, 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 lunch. Okay, so welcome to that for everybody. By the way, that's going to get stuck in your head forever. You're welcome. I, I have uh, a story about that, but I'll save that for later. So Okay, so let's welcome our guest, who is the amazing author, Jeff Strand. Oh my gosh, oh. yes. Jeff, thank you so much for being here with us today. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, we have innumerable topics we could discuss with you because of your vast, vast portfolio of author works. But we want to talk about one of your most recent ones, which, like the uh, movie that it's based on, was seriously the pinnacle of epic cinematic achievement. <laughs> I can't even say it. I can't even say it with a straight face. Um, which is, um, you wrote the book on Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Yes, I think it's one of the finest literary achievements, maybe not just of this century, but of all centuries. <laughs> you know, it's hard to argue that. I mean, you are a Bram Stoker winner. So, you know. Oh, I'm sure I'll get another Bram Stoker for this one, yeah, unquestionably. This is, this is lifetime achievement material. So they're not even going to draw out the suspense. They're just going to give it to me without announcing any other finalists. Just yeah, there's, I mean, who, who's going to go? Here you go. Yeah, <laughs> nobody else could be in this category at this point. Like you own the category. Yeah, there's no point in doing the charade. Like we know yeah. how this is going to go. Through <laughs> Bram Stroker, it's just going to turn into the Jeff Strand Award awarded there to Jeff go. Strand every year. Just for this book, we'll just keep doing yeah, it. Just for this book, this they're gonna say, you know, we can't just give it to him in 2023. This this achievement spans beyond one year. So, yes. Oh yes. my gosh. So, so, so wow. some of our listeners, sorry, Mark, might not actually know what the hell this movie is. So, um, Jeff, I don't know if you want to explain it or you want us to explain it, but I it, it needs a little explanation. <laughs> I, I feel sad for anyone who hasn't heard of Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. But yeah, it's a 1978 spoof movie. And it's important to note that it is a spoof movie. It's a full-on joke, 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 joke comedy. And a lot of people who haven't actually seen it don't realize that. And they think, oh, it's just the stupidest idea for a movie ever. And it's like, no, it is flat out, you know, it's a comedy. They, The filmmakers are not trying to make a serious movie about Killer Tomatoes. It's a very, very goofy movie about Killer Tomatoes. And 
it takes a whole level of ridiculousness and it's similar to what is it um killer clowns from outer space and like it's and they made a sequel to this movie this attack of the killer yeah. tomatoes they, well, they, made, uh, they made a couple sequels right yeah there are four of them in total there's yeah. attack of the killer tomatoes return of the killer tomatoes killer tomatoes strike back and killer tomatoes eat france so yes Wow. Wow. It went into four whole films. I'm going to put the links to these movies, the IMDb links in our podcast yeah. notes for everybody. Because, you know, if you want to give a day to something that will literally sit in your memory forever, which may, or may <laughs> not be a good thing, you can watch all four of these. You can binge them in a row. And if you want to give more to it, more than a day to it, there was also a Saturday morning cartoon. Cartoon. I was about to say there was a cartoon. Oh, wow. And, oh, this uh, franchise is expansive. Yeah. Oh, I had no idea. Okay, so what? And what the Game Boy game? game. Oh, there's a video game? There was a Game Boy game. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I don't even want to know. Okay. So, <laughs> Jeff, take us to the thought, because you are a prolific writer. You have absolutely work all over the place. Like, you do a ton. Um, what made you go, you know what? I want to write a book called Attack of the Killer Tomatoes based well, on it was just a joke. And, you know, if you do a novelization, generally you are hired to do it. It's before the movie comes out. And so you're working directly off the script and your job is to do a fairly loyal version. You know, you add backstory, you give a little bit more character development, maybe explain things that got cut out of the movie. But your job is to basically do the book version of the movie. But you're also doing it pretty much you know you've written the book before the movie's released and then all the promo is done when the book is when the movie's brand new but in psychopocalypse publications had been doing some retro novelizations yep. so it was basically the novelization of movies that you know classics and some non-classics you know from 80s 90s whatever just going back and they were fairly popular and so i just not specifically referencing those, but I just did a joke tweet saying, how is it possible that no one has ever asked me to do a novelization of Attack of the Killer Tomatoes? And then Mark Miller at Encyclopocalypse sent me an email and said, hey, if you're serious, let me see if I can make that happen. <laughs> you know, let's do it. Oh, wow. And I was in a Zoom meeting with the guys who made the original movie. Fantastic. I said, you know, I would make this as goofy as possible. I would treat it like you had uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe money to make the original movie. And literally their only feedback was they wanted it to be as family friendly as the movies, which does not mean squeaky clean, completely kid friendly. It means keep it what, you know, it was a PG by 1978 standards. It would be a strong PG-13 if it came out today. Yeah. Keep it that, you know, don't do some big gore fest, F-bomb laden, filthy version. Do a reasonably family-friendly version and that was their only comment and so that's what i did and they loved it so that's fantastic no, well, and i have to say um one of the things because i've been listening to the audiobook which by the way i heavily recommend because your narrator is awesome who's done that and it's got a lot of sound yes got a lot of sound effects and things like that going so it's pretty amazing and um uh, what I thought was funny is, and I'm not going to give a lot away, I promise, is the, the narrative. You Spoilers for a 20-year-old movie. 
Yeah. Well, but the narrative you added to explaining some of the stuff that you would see on the screen, but you can't read in the book, but like in the very beginning, there's somebody who dies from drinking the tomato juice. And I love that you were like, took 20 seconds on the screen, but you're backstory and all this stuff to the person who drank the tomato juice and died. And I literally, tears were coming out of my eyes. I was laughing so hard at just the sheer ridiculousness of that, but also the awesomeness because you could then really visualize what you were talking about versus, you know, Mark went for this and of course watched the movie again. And I was like, I can't put myself through that, but um, what made you decide to do that sort of take on it when you started putting it together? Well, that was part of the reason to do the book. You know, there's no reason to just, you know, rehash all the jokes from the movie and just do a literal version. I, the fact that it's a, you know, movie that came out 45 years ago gives me a lot of freedom people are not precious about it people are not like you know you didn't you know follow the story exactly you know it it is attack of the killer tomatoes i didn't just go off in a completely different direction it is very much a novelization of attack of the killer tomatoes but i got to add tons of stuff to it i got to comment on the movie itself a lot you know not everything in 1978 has aged well so i got to have fun <laughs> with the the cringy parts, you know, from a really old movie. And yep. um, so a lot of it was just how funny, you know, make this as funny as I possibly can. I didn't want to recycle their jokes. So if the joke is in the movie, it's not in the book unless I use that to springboard to something else. So, you know, there's the line, the one of the most famous jokes in the movie is, you know, could you pass the ketchup? Ketchup. Oh, no, what am I doing? I was going to say, so that's yeah. in there, but then it goes to a completely dark, weird, place so i wasn't interested in just you know hey here are the jokes from the movie but i wrote them in a book i wanted everything to be you know fresh and original and um just use the movie as sort of like the starting point following it kind of scene by scene until at some point i don't and then just using it you know taking each scene saying okay what can i do to just go completely insane with this. And so from the example you brought up in the movie, it's just a real quick sight gag. A guy drinks tomato juice, gags, falls dead. It's like, but that, you know, it's like, okay, well, what can I do with that? Well, that would be horrible. Like the idea is that the tomatoes are alive. So the idea that they are, you know, that you have drank them and they're inside your body is really horrible. So the joke is the narrator of the book saying, you know, look, you can't just skim past this in a 20 second scene. We need to, discuss just how horrible of a faith this poor guy had and why wasn't this through the whole movie drinking you know tomato juice this should have been like the focus not the people getting eaten by tomatoes so it's just you know each scene watching the movie say okay here's what happened in the movie what can i do to twist that around comment on it go you know over the top because i had an unlimited budget whereas they had a very tight budget and just you know, just try to make something that was a companion piece to the movie instead of just here's a literal retelling of the movie. And and you break the fourth wall quite a bit in the book. Right. And yeah, uh, the movie does too, but not uh, you know. That was more uh, the sequel. With the book, I can just you know take that yeah. to an extreme. Yeah, I think the sequels did that a little more. And I remember Return right. of the Killer Tomatoes. At one point, they joke that they've run out of money in the movie, and how are we going to do this? And right. and they're like product placement. And up until that point, they'd just been drinking cans that say like beer 
and stuff yeah. like that. And then suddenly everything is, you know, all the all the named products. And I was like, I was like that that when I was reading the book, I was like, okay, that's that reminded me of that bit. So no, and I I thought so the narrator is is the narrator you or is it a character that you created for it as well? It's supposed to be it it's not super consistent. So the introduction establishes that this novel was actually written in 1978. And then I killed the guy who had written it and passed it off as my own. But I don't completely stick to that because it's Attack of the Killer Tomatoes and people aren't looking for real, real strict adherence to continuity. So it's supposed to kind of be me writing the book. But what I wanted to do was the joke is that this book was written in 1978, but then there are lots of anachronisms in it. So, you know, the very beginning of the book is present day, 1978. I love it. I, mean, yeah, I was like, like, I had to listen to that part again because I present day, 1978. And I was like, wait, what? And I rewound it the 30 seconds and I listened again. And I was like, oh, that's funny. Right. So, yeah, the conceit is that you're reading a long lost 1978 book, but then it breaks that quite a few times for comedic effect. So, Which is perfect. And it nails it. Um. <laughs> So when you did this joking tweet that ended us all at this story, and I feel like you have a few of these throughout your career where it just seemed like an innocent action that resulted in you getting something cool at the end. Um, do you do you like this movie? Did you, like, where was this movie? Or did you just pick something that was an obscure movie? No, that- I like this movie. I, re- I saw it in high school. I loved it. My mom and sister hated it, just loathed it yep. completely. You know, it's my sense of humor. So, you know, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, you know, Airplane, The Naked Gun, all those goofy comedies, that that's my thing. And so Attack of the Killer Tomatoes was perfect because it's recognizable. People know Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, but people aren't, you know, super, they're passionate about it from a standpoint of it being a comedy, but they're not passionate about it from the standpoint of this novel better be, you know, the movie we know and love. It's you could do pretty much whatever you want as long as it was funny and kept to the right tone. I had a lot of freedom in what readers would accept. So, you know, if I did like I would do a Evil Dead movie, that would be a lot of fun. But then you'd get the hardcore Evil Dead fans like, oh, you got that wrong. That's not right. Supposed to be. Whereas you're not going to get that with Attack of the Killer Tomatoes unless I did a really serious book, which was never going to be the plan. So. <laughs> I don't I don't know how that would have gone if you did a very serious book. I think it would have gone poorly. Yeah, no, because filmmakers, no, they they wanted the tone right, but they didn't care what I did with it beyond that. It's not something where it's like that's not how that character would behave in that situation. And a lot of what I did was mess with the way the characters behave in the movie and then give them a backstory that sort of contradicts what we've seen, where you know the in the movie, there's a really good sight gag that the um, paratrooper always has his parachute dragging behind always. him. Yeah. And it's a, it's a funny sight gag. It doesn't work in a book. You can't just say, and then his parachute was always with him because it's not funny in a novel. So instead it just became, you know, the other characters see that and it's sad. It's PTSD. Like what is, what was wrong with this poor man that he always has his parachute dragging behind him. <laughs> so I give him a really dark, way that people react to him I sort of took that sight gag and did something that made sense in a book what about the um how many times did you watch the movie as you were writing this book I watched it I 
it's not a movie that I just watch over and over and over and over, but I'd seen it quite a few times. You know, I had the deluxe DVD set already. So I'd watched it, then I'd watch, you know, all the special features and all that. So I watched it once all the way through just as the memory refresher. And then as I was writing the book, I would watch each scene. And then, so I'd say, okay, here's the scene I'm going to write, play the scene, and then sort of play that scene back as many times as I needed to. And then write it from there so uh so not not to spoil a 40 some odd year old movie I but feel like you uh, can spoil anything you want at this point yeah all right so the uh the the the, the tomatoes have a terrible weakness mm-hmm. uh and it is how you know we save the day as as the united states government i do love that in the you know in the book and in the movie that it, this isn't one of those you know like most monster movies where it takes forever for the government to get involved literally i think the second scene is where the military are are, are organizing forces and uh, and a helicopter gets taken down by a kamikaze tomato uh it's uh you know it's it's pretty impressive stuff so when writing this you know you know the scale escalates quickly and you said you know as if it had a marvel budget you know what what you know where where did you escalate how do you feel like you escalated beyond that well, very early on, you know, there's the tomatoes versus the giant squid scene. The escalation starts immediately. So I wanted to basically give people, once you get past the introduction, the movie starts with the lady, the housewife is washing dishes. She looks in the sink, a tomato is rolling around, it bounces up and she screams. And then we get into the theme song that Erica apparently is not a big fan of you know mark will sing it for you if you want well, but there was it's... there there was a moment in high school where a terrible teacher was torturing us all by uh just being a terrible teacher and uh at one point during the final exam they gave us a final exam of four questions and then told us we had to sit for two hours and we were not allowed to say a word or do anything or, or we would all flunk the exam you know anybody who mentioned anything would be would flunk the exam and after about 20 minutes i cracked could not sit in silence and that's when uh i decided to sing the attack of the killer tomatoes theme song this was 1989 and um and it was a it was a must do and i literally stood up and did like a broadway show version of it up and down the aisles and um and yeah i i, I got flunked for that but i had already aced the class so you know it was a c average i was good but yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. that song is iconic and it i is, love it you know it just it's doesn't printed leave, in the though. book it's not supposed to leave now yeah, but it, you know so the concept was i so in the movie it's the tomato springs up and that's the end and so i had you know a multi-page action sequence where she's fighting the tomato and more tomatoes so i was hoping the reader would pick up okay we're just going to take what happened in the movie and go nuts with it yeah and then I sort of tried to do that in every scene, just take what's there and then put my own big twist on it and go with the fact that I can do whatever I want because it's a book and words are free. No, Good and stuff. I have to say, though, it's you do. Um, I, I did. I have watched it several times. I, I did not um, make myself watch it again. I'm going to say make myself instead of the word force, but uh, <laughs> I make myself watch it again. But like even your descriptors with the motorcyclists and stuff like that fucking brilliant i'm like 
it adds so much to this story. But again, you you nailed it. You didn't take away from the cheese and everything that went with Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, right? So I I I, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. But um, so as you're going through the process of writing this book, are they seeing chapters or did they just see it at the end? How did this work with the filmmakers or? No, I had total creative control and they didn't see it until it was done. Nice. I had pretty much, I didn't tell the filmmakers this. I told in Psychopocalypse, I said, I'm not turning, I'm not gonna, like, if I'm gonna do an Attack of the Killer Tomatoes book, I'm going to do it, you know, on my own schedule, you know, on my own terms. And then if they have comments afterwards, I would happily address it. But it wasn't gonna be something, like, all right, what do you think of this chapter? Send your notes and then I'll incorporate your feedback and then I'll send it back. It was, no one saw the book until it was done. Wow. And then they get it. And their response was they loved it. Yep. yep. Did they have any notes at all? No, none. Good. <laughs> oh, my completely God. nailed it. Yeah, I mean, I had the resume to do it. It's not like they're taking this, you know, long shot bet. Oh, man, this guy, he, there's no way he's going to be able to pull this off. It's if you look at the books I've written, you know, I'm not the weirdest choice for a attack of the killer tomatoes book i've done no no you've you've got some amazing uh pedigree there uh i i liked uh uh gleefully macabre tales is one of my uh favorites to flip through so um uh, and uh your whole uh wolf hunt series is 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 classic for me so right so i've done horror comedy for adults but i'd also my young adult books you know a bad day for voodoo you know i have yeah. a bad thing about this those are just really, really goofy comedy. So if you read those, you say, oh yeah, this is laying the framework for Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, which goes even more, you know, further than those. But, you know, I have written really, really silly self-referential stuff at novel length. So it wasn't something where they were just taking this chance, like, okay, I don't know if, I don't know if he can do it. It's like, yeah, I've, I've got the skill set to do Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. If I anything else, I can do Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Lots of books I couldn't do, but that one... That was that was in my so let's talk about the response. So now you put this this book is released. What has the response been like for you? You know, it's for fans great. and stuff. It's actually been better than I expected. I'm I assumed I would get, you know, this book is just stupid. And I'm not really probably because the people who would say that are not buying a book called Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Yeah. So my guess is if you forced everyone to read it then a lot of people would hate it but you know no one is being forced in school to read the novelization of attack of the killer tomatoes so you're kind yeah. of the yet <laughs> after it wins the pill surprise they might start forcing our nation's youth to read it but for now you're not reading it unless you're doing it willingly and in theory if you are someone who would willingly pay money for Attack of the Killer Tomatoes and then read it, you're probably going to enjoy the book. It, it delivers on its promise. So, no, so. totally. And what about, have, have people referenced what the movie meant or how it impacted them versus that your book oh, yeah. and it's, stuff like that? No, it's not meant to stand, you know, you can read it without have, ever having seen the movie, but it's, really meant to be a companion piece the best way you can read the book is to watch the movie first and then read yeah. the book right away so it you know because there are the jokes about you know the bits that don't you know hold up in 2023 
And so those are much more helpful if you've seen the movie. There's one sight gag in the movie that's, it's a really good joke where um, they're trying to, the military and government people are trying to discuss what to do, but the room is too small and the table takes up the whole thing. So everyone has to crawl over the table and it's, it's a really good sight gag and it works really well in the movie. It's not funny in a book. You know, and then the room was too small and they had to crawl over the desk. So the joke for their, for that part was just everyone commenting on how spacious and luxurious the accommodations are. <laughs> and if you haven't read the book, it's kind of funny. But if you are, if you haven't seen the movie, it's you know mildly amusing. If you have seen the movie, then you get exactly what I'm trying to do. And then it becomes very funny. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. it's not meant to exist outside of the movie. It's meant to be if you because I assumed that people who don't know the movie aren't going to be flocking to buy a novelization of it. And so I'm not getting a lot of, you know, I'd never even heard of Attack of the Killer Tomatoes until this book came out. It's generally, oh, yeah, I saw that movie when I was 15 and loved it. And so I really love the book from that perspective. I'm kind of curious now if anybody has noticed the um uh, downloading or however you can get attack of the killer of tomatoes i didn't even look that up because i know mark watched it on a damn dvd that he has because i, I own the physical copy yeah, yeah sorry I, edition. I, <laughs> I know my, we my all book. know mark that you own all the physical copies of the most obscure movies in the entire world we're aware um but <laughs> actually i have I've the had, elvira uh 12 nights of fright dvd version so uh, where she hosted it and uh, she had some great jokes about it as well so but uh, no no so you got to meet the 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 original filmmakers for this and at least virtually via and all zoom, that yes. yeah via zoom and uh, so did you, you know did you have any questions for them or anything before even starting no not really I kind of I knew what I wanted to do and I didn't want to bug them no nah. So it wasn't something where it was like, you know, my God, just write the book, leave us alone. Yeah. So I sort of did it all off by myself. You know, in in the world of the internet, you know, I didn't have to, you know, I had, you know, the movie itself at my disposal. There was an online transcript that I could use to follow along with also while I was following with the movie. And there wasn't a lot of stuff where I needed to, you know, well, what was this character's motivation? Because I was sort of changing all that so i was i was I curious them you, quite a bit after decided, the book uh, done, but not during the writing of it did you incorporate anything from the uh the sequels into the... no i purposely didn't okay because at one point i thought i would i was like you know i'm gonna like bring in all the different franchise oh um, it, was, it was the other. john astin's mad scientist from return of the killer i was thinking about doing all that and i thought no i'm gonna keep it specifically the first movie because i'm not going to step on the toes if someone else wants to tackle it they uh, asked me you know, they said you know we'll reserve return the killer tomatoes for you if you want and i was like no i think i have sort of laid it all out there's like left everything on the field with this first book also i think the second movie is where it starts to get quite a bit more clever you know, yeah, you've got, it's very stop, self-referential too. Right, they have to stop the movie to do the product placement. There's a bit yeah. where you know the extras come on, like, "Hey, you can't speak because then we have to pay you." So, yeah, you know, yeah I think this, you know, it's got um, George Clooney, who's actually really good in it. Yeah, it's like he, one of his first roles. It's crazy. He has nothing to be embarrassed about. He's he does a really good job in it. Oh yeah, he owns. And it. So it's like the second movie, I think, is the best of the franchise, and it's 
a genuinely really solid comedy it's like okay well how do i do that do what i did with the first movie to the second movie because the first movie a lot of the jokes come from you know it was a cheaply made movie and they use that to their advantage but it's still a cheap looking movie except for the accidental helicopter crash which was real yeah it was actually happened. i thought i don't think i can bring as much to return of the killer tomatoes also you know i've done attack of the killers what am i going to do that's different if i went all in on the self-referential and all that then it's like well it's not i didn't think i could deliver you know lightning wasn't going to strike twice so like, if someone else wants to do return of the killer tomatoes i'll not stand in their way but i, I didn't want to mess with someone who did want to do return of the killer tomatoes and say well he actually lifted big chunks of that for the first book so uh, yeah wow. i purposely kept it all with the 1978 one well nice. i have to say by the way for our lovely travel listeners because the travel part of this episode is going to be back to the couch as you know i like to do with ice cream or popcorn <laughs> but it's free on amazon because i was yep. looking to see where we could say it yeah was it's on, free uh, free on amazon and yeah to be in a couple places but what's really funny is it has a 4.5 star rating yeah oh Amazon. if you're watching killer tomatoes you're watching it for a reason so yeah it's very true okay we're gonna take a quick break 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 i'm gonna use actual words okay and we'll be right back with strand eerie appalachia Gear up for a frightful jaunt into the darkest reaches of the ancient Appalachians. Folks deep within the Appalachian hollers lean close to the campfire to share stories of the inexplicable with hushed awe. Monsters rumbling in the hills, strange lights darting through the pitch black night sky, horrible occurrences almost ineffable in their bizarre tragedy. Tall tales, you might say. Tell that to the Flatwoods monster in Braxton County, West Virginia, or the Goat Man of Louisville. Look into his humanoid eyes and let him know you don't believe. What of those apparitions in Mammoth Cave's Corpse Rock or the Satan spawn known as the Jersey Devil? How do you respond when confronted by these mysteries? From the metaphysical energy that swirls near Serpent Mound in Ohio to Point Pleasant's Mothman Legacy, Mark Muncie and Carrie Schultz explore the dark history lurking in the shadows of Appalachia. Read by Mark Muncie, author and experts on strange folklore with appearances on shows such as Ancient Aliens, The Curse of Robert the Doll, and many, many more. Greetings, mortals and others. I'm Dick Terhune, the voice from hell. I work with haunted attractions all over the US, Canada, and Europe to increase audiences and enhance their experience with highly effective commercials, narrations, animatronic character voices, whatever your dark heart desires. Let me help you do more, scare more, profit more. Find out more at Voice From Hell on Facebook and at voicefromhell.com. Okay, we're back. And now we're going to talk about your other stuff. Jeff, you have so many other books. Um, for anybody who hasn't started reading you, do that immediately. We've included your links here because you've written on so many different, um, uh, I don't want to say so many different genres, although we do know you have one romance book. Um, you have written on so many different sort of characters including wolves and stuff like that so mark do you want to talk about the wolves since that's one of your favorites well i i'm a big fan honestly my favorite is the uh the andrew mayhem thrillers uh with uh was it uh great grave robbers wanted 
Yep. Gray bars with uh, no experience necessary. Yeah, that was that was just amazing. Your your horror comedies are solid, solid, solid stuff. I right up there with yeah. Evil Dead. Uh, I'd put you know, Tremors is like one of my favorite go-to series, yeah. and that's it's got that feel to it, and I love that. So um, now I was gonna say, so the the Wolf Hunt trilogy. Let's let's talk about that. What what makes your wolves different than the classic werewolves? Uh, the wolves in uh, Wolf Hunt can change like whenever they want. So they don't follow the full moon. They can change just anytime they feel like it. And he can change part of his body. So if he only wants to have a wolf arm, he can do that. And that basically when I was coming up with the idea for the series or really the first book, it wasn't intended to be a series. It was just going to be a werewolf book. I thought, well, what would make it different is if the guy in human form was also a psychopathic serial killer. So he's not the, the typical werewolf mythos is the innocent guy who's out of control and he can't, you know, he's a good guy, but he's been bitten. And on the nights of the full moon, he does horrible things that he has to reconcile with later. So I thought, okay, what if it was a werewolf who was as horrible as a human as he is as a werewolf? And then I thought, well, what if he could, you know, had total control of it to the point where he could change his arm. And that's, how he gets out because in the beginning of the book he is locked in a cage they've captured him he's going to be delivered to this mob boss and our heroes george and lou are told don't go near the cage don't go near the cage but they're kind of, he gets on their nerves and like well we'll just stay out of arm reach but if he can turn his human arm into a werewolf arm it gives him a few extra inches and then he uses that to grab the guy by the throat and get out so yeah the two things that make him different or at least in the first book, Ivan the werewolf is a psychopath as a human and has complete control over his werewolf transformations. And, and with the Ivan and everything, I was I, I immediately went to Janos Skorzeny from uh, Kolchak, the Night Stalker, was <laughs> was what went to my head with that. I was like, oh yeah, that, and they used him in the the Fox TV series Werewolf. So I was like, oh yeah, so it's it's along those lines. So yeah. that that I, I always I, I thought you're you know I, I liked that you really went into the the mythos and the mythology of it and everything. So, but, and it kept it real, you know, which is good. And that's why I like the uh, Andrew Mayhem stuff. They're just, they're, they're fun. And if anybody highly recommend them for your reads gang. So, you know, travelers get out there, get those. One my favorite Jeff Strand novel is called Blister. Have you read that one, Mark? I have not. So um, I'm going to give my representation of it and then Jeff's going to completely correct it to what it's supposed to be. <laughs> but it is about, um, and it's set in the 80s. I, yes, okay, he's nodding, so I'm not. But it's about this um, girl who's basically kind of disfigured and stuff like that. And it's um, a whole interaction with uh, somebody who basically kind of falls in love with her for lack of a better way. Jeff, yep. you might want to jump in so I don't completely butcher this storytelling. <laughs> no, that's it exactly. It is a guy, he's a very successful cartoonist in the 80s, which is part of why I said in the 80s, because that's when you could have a successful newspaper cartoonist who, you know, makes a really good living at it. But there's a, you know, there's an issue in his life and his agent sends him off to this cabin to sort of, chill out, wait it out while everything blows over. And he gets bored, goes to a local uh, bar 
mm-hmm. and sort of gets a little has a little bit too much to drink and is hanging out with these jackasses who are like hey we're gonna show you blister that you know and like what's blister oh we'll we'll show you'll never believe it so they sort of drunkenly go and they find this little shed like look look in there that's blister and he looks and he sees this horribly disfigured girl and she appears at the window like whoa what the hell is that and then she lets out kind of a sob and then he goes back to sleep it off and then when he wakes up the next morning he's like you know what that that was horrible that was that wasn't cool at all she you know she's <laughs> disfigured but i shouldn't be peeking in at someone on that so he basically takes a couple of his comic collections and drops them on just says look i i apologize that was very uncool i just wanted to say i'm sorry about that and then it goes from there so it you know, it's a horror novel. It's a suspense novel. It's a mystery, but there is the love story element. So Blister is the good guy. Yeah, that's, I love the love story element. And I, anyway, I'm not going to give away a lot of it, but that one is my favorite. So of, of the, the Jeff Strands, but uh, you have books that have been turned into movies, correct? I have stuff that has been like in development, like it's very long, slow, insane. So I have lots of stuff that's in development, but as far as actual movies that you can rent, I've just got some short films that I wrote. One was made, but it hasn't been released. And it's kind of unreleasable because they read out of money at the end. So oh. it was. Product placement. Yeah, that it. Product placement. Oh my God. <laughs> had various issues. I don't think it's ever going to come out, but um, no, I've got stuff ranging from really tiny budget to big studio productions. You know, I got my WGA membership based on writing the screenplay for one of those. So it's, it, you know, it will be a big studio major thing if it comes out, but the development process on movies is just excruciatingly maddeningly slow so which is why i just keep writing books like if i write a book i have total control you know i am in charge of when that book gets done and with a movie there are a million moving parts and you know it can fall apart for reasons that are completely out of your control so my focus is still on the books so do you do any research on folklore or monsters or anything like that or is it all you know created from the writer's brain uh, or and just with you know general assimilated knowledge, how do you do it? It is general assimilated knowledge. So it's like I didn't for something like Blister, I didn't look you know do research on small town legends. That's just information that was already in my head because I'm interested in that sort of thing. So it's like there are a lot of books I've done. You know, if I write a zombie book, I don't have to go out and do research. I that that information is there. So so for clowns versus spiders, you didn't look up the the giant the cave spiders of new york or anything like that then so well clowns versus spiders actually clowns versus spiders is was an exception because it came from an article i read about how um and this was an article around the time a few years ago when there were all the scary clown sightings it was all over the news so you had all these scary clown sightings then you had pennywise because it chapter one had been you know the most successful horror movie in history and real life clowns were losing their livelihood. So yeah. it's like you're if you're making a living going to children's birthday parties as a clown, you couldn't get that job anymore. Kids didn't want clowns anywhere near their birthday parties. And you had clowns like, we're not mean. We are not scary. We bring joy to children. All we want to do is make balloon animals, make kids laugh, do tricks, and we can't do that anymore. This 
this has ruined our careers. So I thought that's an interesting twist because in horror books or movies, the clowns are always the scary bad guys. But I thought, well, what if these are good clowns who have lost their livelihood because of all this stuff? But then of course, because they lose their job in the circus, their only option if they don't want to starve to death is to be scary clowns at a haunted house. And so they, you know, like this goes against everything we stand for, but we have to eat. Yeah. So they, you know, reluctantly as good clowns pretending to be bad clowns take the job and then the spider attack happens on that town and then lots of insanity. I like, uh, I like Jaunty. Jaunty was a great character. So no, uh, well, I ran a haunted house for 20 years and the one year we did clowns, we got protested by clowns uh they came across the street and lined up and and were holding up signs clowns aren't scary and i think more people were terrified in line yeah i would be scared at them than going into the haunt so they didn't do themselves any favors no i I actually went to them the next day and said hey could you guys come back that was amazing (laughs) (laughs) we couldn't ask for better i felt kind of bad but because i trained with clowns a couple times that's how i learned some of my magic tricks but uh yeah it is what it is but uh, and now we raise spiders, so yeah, we we sat on the side of the spiders. So yeah, no, Mike, Mark, and his wife Carrie basically just filled their house as a house of horrors for some people. But <laughs> when you re- when you release clown versus spiders, I sent that to a friend of mine who has both of those phobias, and the response Perfect. I got from sending your book to her was "fuck off." That was the response <laughs> I got from that. She well, read it, loved it. The reason I picked spiders was that double phobia thing because I originally it was going to be clowns versus kaiju. Thought, well, wait a minute. What if it was like a primal fear versus a primal fear? People are scared of clowns. People are scared of spiders. Which one do you root for? So, yeah, no, that was absolutely. I sent it to her. That was the response I got. I felt like I had won. You know, and then right after that, I actually, because of that, found a picture of a clown spider, which is the thing that I know was a thing and then sent her that. And needless to say, she's still my friend, which is actually surprising now that I'm saying this out loud and she listens to this podcast. So you know who you are and I love you. There you go. Wait wait till Jeff writes something else. And I'm like, Ooh, this scares the crap out of here. Here's your book. Um, So (laughs) what are you? So let's go to your words. You won the Bram Stoker Award, which took a a, a, a little bit of time because you kept being nominated, right? You were nominated. Yeah, I had a long, long, proud losing streak, but not a record-breaking losing streak, but a pretty solid one. Oh wow! Who who yeah, was, it, was it at least at least five? Right? I, I know of at least a few. I won on the fifth one, but Scott Edelman has um, been nominated eight times without a win. So. Uh didn't you guys come up with like cards or something? God for... is the one who created the cards. Anyone who has been nominated for a Bram Stoker Award but not won can ask Scott for this punch card. And so if you, every time you lose, you get another punch in your card and he's got eight punches, so he holds the record. But I had to void mine because before I could get my fifth punch, I won, so. Yeah. Well, that still that's a really good so you won what were you prepared at all when you won? do you i mean after you go up for a certain amount of awards same awards did you have your little speech or everything prepared or were you just like nah i'm not gonna worry about it 
I, my initial thought was, no, I'm not going to worry about it because I thought I have maybe a 5% chance of winning. I knew what book I was very, very confident would win and it wasn't mine. So I was like, I don't, it's not going to be my year. That's totally fine. I'm still going to have fun. And then I had sort of this panic moment right before the summer, like, you know, if I, I at least need to have a list of names so that I don't go up there and leave somebody <laughs> out. So I sort of very hastily scrawled down a list of names and then thought, you know, that'll just protect me in case I go up and leave off someone really important. And then I um, won that, oh, I you know what? I could have had a legendary, inspiring, funny speech, but instead I just sort of went up there like, blah, 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 and just babbled my way through whatever it was and thought, okay, that was a mistake, but I had not expected to win, so. <laughs> So that had to be fun. And I, I, I do, do they, do they film this at all? Cause I would love to see the look on your face when they actually said your name. I think when you're no, not, they film it, but they don't film the, so it's not like the Oscars where you get reaction shots. So it's, it is my, my poor speech is, you know, available on YouTube, but it's the camera was focused on the stage. So it's me going up and whatever I said, I don't completely remember what it was, but <laughs> Did your amazing life take a picture or do a reaction shot? Because see, that would have been just classic. There, yes, there's a, I don't think there's a picture of me seeing that I won, but there's a picture of me immediately afterward holding the trophy with a goofy expression. So <laughs> that's, that's the moment that's where they say it and you're like, oh, 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 oh that, that was actually my name. Let me get out yeah, of this so as a fan of horror films and the horror genre uh, and, and, and the clown prince of horror that you, you have been dubbed, what is your favorite monster? You know, what, what, what would be your favorite? My favorite actually is scary clowns. I don't want to be redundant, but if I had to pick one, I would say scary clowns. Other than that, it's kind of straight. I don't necessarily have a favorite monster because... I focus a lot more on the movie. So a lot of my favorite horror movies are werewolf movies, you know, like American Werewolf in London, one of my all-time favorites. I love Ginger Snaps. I love, love Dog Soldiers. But dog soldiers. you say, okay, so are werewolves your favorite monster? It's like, no, not really. But I, there are some werewolf movies that I just really, really love. Oh. And so um, it, I have to go with Scary Clowns, but um, it really, I don't, have a super strong preference it's more the individual movie itself so i have to ask because we just did a show on because we did a show on what vampire is the strongest because i had a realization and it's literally pissed off most of our audience which is fine <laughs> i don't it's fine i'll just because it's twilight vampires anyway moving on um and so we did what werewolves are the strongest and unfortunately we came to the assessment that it's the the werewolves in the howling two, because they are come can only be killed with um, titanium. Titanium. They're, they're immune to silver. Yeah, well, and so that you literally no. have to have titanium to kill them. Of which none of us have titanium laying around in a like. What are you going to stab <laughs> them with your earring or bludgeon them to death with your wedding ring if it happens to be titanium? What do you think of the howling two? Um, werewolves it has been so long since i've seen howling 2 and i can tell you exactly when it was because 
they um the local station i think there were four of them at the time so they did a marathon and so i watched all of the movies at once and i'd only seen the first one so that was my first and only time seeing howling two three and four so that would have been 1995 so i can tell you exactly edited for television saw. versions oh yeah it was the hardcore editing so at the end where um sybil danning is like taking off her shirt and they just show it over and over and over. she was wearing something under her shirt in this in this <laughs> the movie. but they still the show it over and over, and over and i can only imagine what the hell they did that they probably had somebody pencil it in over the frame no, i think they just shot an alternate cut of it oh okay that i think he did one with the nudity one without and then the tv version was without yes. but it's that an odd choice to keep throwing open her shirt when there's you know just a normal another shirt underneath it but that, that was common so though. i actually i could not tell you anything about howling Two except for that moment because <laughs> it's been so long since i saw it and it was part of a four movie marathon the only remote, well, moment i remember anyway too so, <laughs> so i don't even yeah. know how many howling movies there are past that i saw the first one multiple times and then the first you know the next three in as part of that marathon then i have no idea what yeah i think that. there are a total of five um i'm gonna look it up again because oh, I thought it was like uh, eight we found out it was crazy i would have thought it would have been way more than five yeah oh, I think sorry it's no there yeah. are um seven seven no seven. Eight. You're right. Yeah, it's, eight. It's, eight. Yeah, it's eight. I thought we found that out last time. So yeah. All right. The, so if yeah. somebody is is wanting the the quintessential strand novel, what would you suggest for them? Well, I'm gonna not use examples that we've already mentioned. Okay, so those are good. I'm gonna say Allison, and ah. Allison's one of my more recent books, and it is about a 45 year old lady who it's sort of the equivalent of if Carrie White from Stephen King's Carrie had lived through that ordeal and is living basically as a hermit in her middle age. And so she has telekinetic powers where she that she can't control that involve accidentally breaking people's bones. So after a very traumatic experience as a kid where she you know, there's a home invasion which she stops but in the process kills her parents and because she can't control this she figures her only choice is to live way off the grid and her only companionship is she adopts very very old pets at the end of their life so if if something goes wrong it's you know she's not killing a puppy if something goes very wrong well she, at least she gave this dog a good life before you know the end and so she's that's how she's been living and then stuff happens and of course it goes crazy because it's a novel and not a nonfiction piece nice. so i'm going to go with allison okay yes yeah it's got the action i think it's pretty much if you're like okay well what is his work all about and i'm kind of all over the place but i think that's a good central location oh. to start on, on my list now what about the um it should be on everybody's list what about your favorite horror book to movie like which one do you or top three whatever that you think is fantastic i still and this goes back to the 80s i still think um maybe the 90s misery is the best adaptation mm. i think it's because yeah. one of my all-time favorite stephen king books but I think the movie is even better than the book. I think just 
the choices they made. So in the book, she chops his arm, you know, she chops his foot off and cauterizes it mm-hmm. with a yeah. blowtorch. And that, you know, you can't do that in a movie. So they, okay, so they're going to tone it down. It's not going to be as effective. What they did to tone it down, the sledgehammer turns out is twice as disturbing. And it was, oh. it had to have been a decision saying, you know, this is a big budget Rob Reiner studio film. We can't have her chopping off some guy's foot. So what, how can we do it without the blood? Let's do a sledgehammer. But the sledgehammer is infinitely more disturbing. It's yeah. just, you know, the change really, really works well. And the audience, you know, I saw it opening night with a sold out crowd and they just went berserk in that moment. I so see. I think Misery is still, still all these years later to me, my favorite of the book to movie adaptations. No, totally. And I think the cast of that particular one as well. Right. You know, kind of unbelievable. It was it's like just, every character perfect. is you know, every character, meaning the two main characters and one of the they're all dead on. So yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Mark. Um no my last my last question for me is uh um I saw on your uh you know on your Wikipedia refreshing my memory on everything uh that you went to Bowling Green. Uh, yep, up yep. in up, up near Canton, and um, I wanted to ask if you had any recollections of going to fun places near Canton because we do Small Town Monsters Festival up there uh, every year. Now that they've started that, that's where they you know it's Bigfoot, UFOs, ghosts, all that fun stuff. Uh, we went to Ravens Rock on the way up there, which is a great you know just you know crazy natural area with. Uh, caves and all that i was just curious if you had any memories from there that kind of shaped that uh horror comedy aspect because that's where i got most of mine from ohio living too so (laughs) no i didn't have a car so i was basically trapped in the borders of bowling green so i went no i went to a lot of movies and i you know constantly went to the um used bookstore so i had a you know i was reading horror novels constantly watching horror movies constantly but I wasn't really traveling outside of Bowling Green. So I'd never, you know, I'd been through Canton, but I didn't get to do oh. anything stuff in Canton. It was kind of just well, nothing, nothing wrong with the theater or the bookstore. So yep. Very true. Okay, Jeff. Um, shameless self-promotion time, my friend. Where do people find all of how do people find your stuff? I we're we're putting your website in the link. Is that the best place? The website's the best place. You know, if you go in on Amazon, type in my name and it'll bring up the whole series of stuff so yeah jeffstrand.com is the place to start very cool and what are what are you working on right now right now i'm in the very rare moment where i haven't started a new book yet because i finished a book yesterday so are you allowed to share about that i am it won't be out until um next april i'm doing some uh, middle grade horror novels and it's It's a series, but they're all standalone. So it's not, a, there's no continuity in the series. It's just, it's sort of the equivalent to Goosebumps where each book is its own thing. And so the first one is called It Watches in the Dark. And that will be out in, um, it, no, that one will be out in August of next year, 2024. And the one I just finished, Nightmare in the Backyard, will be out in August of, I'm, I think I'm messing up the dates. The first one is April 2024. The second one is August 2024. I just delivered the second one yesterday. 
So today has been like catching up on all the small things that I have let slide as I was in that last minute before the deadline panic. Of course, of course. Very cool. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us here on our Erie Travels podcast. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So guys, don't forget to like, subscribe, share, tell your friends, get all of Jeff's books, or if you don't get all of them, you will find ones that you're going to absolutely love. Because if you're listening to this podcast, he writes stuff very similar to what we talk about all the time. So find the ones you love. We'd love to hear from you guys on the ones that you find what you like. And of course, you can always demand Jeff come back on the show because I'm quite sure he would acquiesce. So very cool. Um, Mark, I'll let you take us away, my friend. Well, I will just say they're 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 crawling up the walls and they're marching down the halls. They'll eat you, smash you, chew you, mess you, uh, you know, all the fun stuff. But anyway, travelers, we'll see you on the other side.